I'm Professor Catherine Crock. I'm a doctor at the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne and the chair of the Hush Foundation. The Hush Foundation's been running now for 23 years, aiming to transform healthcare culture through the arts. So we use music and theatre and storytelling to try and influence change in healthcare. I'm going to be talking about kindness in healthcare and how together we can all work towards a kind health system, one that's kind for the people working in it, and then it will be kind for the people receiving care. So my name is Chris Turner. I'm a consultant in emergency medicine at University Hospital of Coventry and Warwickshire, and which is a major trauma centre in England. And alongside that, a few years ago, I started um, with Joe Farmer something called Civility Saves Lives. And Civility Saves Lives is a grassroots organisation that came on with the aim of raising awareness of the impact of behavioural performance at, at an individual, a team and organisational level. And at the the quality forum, um, I'll be I'll be speaking with Kath about the impact of behaviour on performance. And you know, if you take one end of this, where you say that bad behaviour is is not good for people and not good for organisations, at the other end of it, good behaviour really good for people and it's really good for organisations and it's really good for patient outcomes. And that's what I'll be talking about. Chris, you mentioned there a little bit about civility in the workplace and incivility. Can you can you give me a quick overview of what that means to you or what that would mean to be civil in the workplace or incivil? Civility in the workplace is really about um, respecting others and understanding that sometimes you sometimes you'll be misinterpreted, but the aim is to leave others feeling valued and respected through our behaviours. When we leave other people feeling valued and respected, the other people then want to contribute within the workplace, both physically and also verbally. And beyond that, there's this understanding that there are massive cultural differences. I, for example, might use certain language, and I do use certain language that to me isn't offensive at all from the culture I grew up in but is highly offensive to other people. If nobody tells me, I can't know about it. So my intent was pure, but it has an impact of reducing other people's performance. Um, and basically, we work to help people to understand that and then to work out how we could hear about it if we have behaved or used language that other people find difficult. Catherine, you mentioned that you're going to be talking about kindness in the workplace. Is that is that similar or different or how does that differ? Look, I like the word kindness because it's almost an everyday word. It's something that's really quite accessible to anybody. And I think everybody understands what it feels like to be treated with kindness. What I've been doing through the Hush Foundation for years is putting on theatrical plays about culture and behaviour, similar to what Chris talks about, how behaviour can really impact on the safety of a team, how it can impact on um, how we look after patients and families. And we've put these plays on 200 times in different organisations, Australia-wide and internationally. And it was through the feedback from the play audiences that I really became very concerned about the culture in healthcare, that every single organisation we've been to talks about bullying and harassment, poor behaviour, incivility amongst staff. And um, the theatrical plays would sort of energise an audience to start talking about it and saying, hang on a sec, 
how are we going to move from here to a better place that's better for all of us to work in? And then we came up with this concept of let's just talk simply about kindness and about how that can really help to transform. And so it's the other end of the picture. It's not the bad behaviour, et cetera. We can acknowledge that that is going on and that that might be happening, but I would prefer to aspire to something better and more positive for all of us. You can watch it transform a team really very quickly. So start having these conversations about how we can treat each other differently and how we can treat each other with respect and kindness you really can turn something around in a week. It does not necessarily have to take a long time. And I think small acts of kindness amongst individuals in teams um, and in organisations can make a huge difference quickly. Maybe I'm being a bit naive here, but it, it sort of seems quite straightforward that you would treat your colleagues with with value and respect, you know, that I I was a bit shocked to hear that, you know, that's that's a real problem in healthcare. Um, I wonder if you could talk a bit more about why people might struggle with that. We talk about this as being pretty basic and it kind of is, but I think basic's the wrong word. I think it's fundamental. I think if we don't have a fundamentally respectful culture, then what happens is people are significantly inhibited by that culture, if, if particularly if it's hostile. And why would it be that within healthcare, this is particularly a problem? Well, there's a couple of reasons that really spring to my mind. The first one is this, that we often have organizations that say it's all about the patient it's all about the patient it's all about the patient and then we get top-down initiatives that are indeed all about the patient but aren't about the staff they don't recognize the impact that the top-down initiative has on the staff and the staff feel devalued the staff feel as though they don't matter they don't have a voice and actually the staff also can see why this top-down initiative doesn't work but they're being overwhelmed overworked by it overwhelmed by it and they burn out so that's part of it. But the other part is to do with how we perceive stress that gets put through the system. And if you can imagine, uh, we'll use the stress bucket. I mean, I'm not a massive fan of the stress bucket, but let's just use it for a second or two. You have so much stress that you can cope, cope with. Your stress bucket gets full to the top. Two things happen when your stress, stress bucket's full to the top. The first one is this. When you speak to other people, you're so overwhelmed by stuff that's going on that the gentle edge of us gets rubbed off, the kind edge, the humane edge. And we tend to drift more into a direct of command and control. I'm telling you what to do kind of way of doing stuff if we're in leadership positions. But the other thing is that every time somebody comes and talks to us, we are much more likely to interpret that as threat. And if we do interpret it as threat, then we tend to push back. And I think many people will have spoken to somebody at work they will have gone to try to make things better. You go and you try and make things better and you, the response you get is somebody who's angry back at you for trying to make things better and they're pushing away any, any opportunity to help that you might be trying to give them. And that's because people are just overwhelmed and that they sense anything else is another bit of threat to themselves. 
And one of the things about healthcare is that we have normalized treating each other as staff in a negative way. We're judgmental. We decide, I decide that Kath, because she did something, it's because Kath's a bad person. Not because Kath was trying to do the right thing from her perspective. I think this has become such a normalized thing within healthcare. We accept that people are treat each other badly and are treated badly in turn, and we simply shouldn't. Look, I always think about how we're educated as we go through um, medical or nursing um, degrees. It can be quite a brutal type of education, and often you're not treated with tenderness and kindness on the way through. It's very competitive, and I think it builds into a hierarchical sort of system that makes it difficult for people to feel safe to speak up when they might need to. And so I think we need to be looking at the very beginning from our education of all our health professionals and really thinking about how they can be educated more in a teamwork manner and also with an understanding that these relationship things really matter and are going to be so important to how they can do their work later on. I spend a lot of time teaching uh, junior doctors and they come to learn technical skills. Actually, they get um, a, quite a brain dump from me about culture and relationships and behaviour and how we treat each other. And at the end of every session, pretty much everyone says, no one talks about this stuff with us. Whereas I think the relationships in healthcare underpin everything and we need to be getting that right. We're not putting enough in emphasis on that. We're teaching the technical skills. We're teaching the medical um, background that they need. A lot of that they can actually look up, but I think you need putting more time into the foundations and getting the relationships right. Um, we have a system that wants to measure us. And the thing that it wants to measure us against has traditionally been knowledge and skills. But those tend to be technical knowledge and technical skills, it tends to be about understanding how to treat diabetes and the different drugs that are out there. The, the problem there is that if you can't do a task, and it doesn't matter what task it is, but we talk about a cardiac arrest here. As an emergency medicine physician, I have the skills to do everything that needs to happen in a cardiac arrest. But if I can't do them all simultaneously, then I can't run a cardiac arrest completely on my own. I have to work with other people. And in that setting, anytime you have to work with other people, the minimum unit of performance is not the individual. The minimum unit of performance is that team. And we don't talk about that. We don't talk about the team as a minimum unit of performance. We have, we have a whole system that's wrapped up in personal mastery. When actually, the evidence on this is, is just overwhelming. You need to, and it's self-evident as well, Yeah. We need to have people working well together as a team. And we just spend so little time talking about it. And and that's, I think, that's where both Kath and I come from when we're talking to medical students and, you know, execs and everybody else in between. That's what we're where we're coming from and the value, the value of valuing other people. What are some of the consequences of not being kind in the workplace or not showing civility in the workplace? When somebody treats us in a way that leaves us feeling disrespected, leaves us feeling that they have been uncivil to us, then 
even at a really low level, what happens in our heads is that we interpret that as a bit of threat. We, we don't feel threatened. We just feel a bit uncomfortable. But our brain is going, hang on a second, that's a wee bit threat. And what it starts doing is diverting our cognitive resources. It diverts them away from being able to think logically about stuff to do I need to get ready to get out of here? Do I need to get ready for fight or flight? We're not aware of this. This is all happening at some reptilian amoebic part of our brain. And all the time when some when we're feeling like we're being threatened, then this can just be incivility. Our cognitive resources get stolen. We are made literally less smart. Not only are we less smart, we're less likely to share information. It's a double whammy of badness. And the consequence is that our performance at an individual level goes down, but also our performance within the team and the group setting goes down. And it's just a complete disaster. And it's why when people are leaders, if people are the sort of leader that, that instills threat and fear into the people around them, those guys have rubbish teams because their teams can't perform at the level that they would want to perform at. And what's more, they're not sharing information with the leader. So that, that's kind of what's going on. You can measure it. You can actually show that, you know, a, a mild to moderate incivility interaction results in a, a on average a 61% reduction in people's cognitive ability in the moment. And that lasts for various lengths of time. But that's fundamentally what's happening. What's happening is our cognitive resources have been stolen by the rest of our brain, which is going, nah, nah, nah. I just need to make sure I survive here. Can I give a, a practical example of the opposite, really, of improving your cognitive ability by using the team? So I often have to do quite complicated lumbar puncture procedures on children, and they may have spinal deformities and they've had surgery, et cetera. And there was one particular day I was working with the team and I said to the anaesthetist, could we put up the photos that I took last time I did this particular procedure? So we put them up on the screen. Next thing, the whole team is helping me. They're saying, oh, a little bit to the left. And I think if you go a little further and change your angle. Next thing, I'm successful in this procedure. And what the anaesthetist said to me was, you reduced your cognitive load by sharing it with the team. And it was fantastic. And I've gone on to teach that ever since. Let's share our cognitive load in a situation like that, which could be stressful and you could feel you're carrying this whole responsibility of a successful procedure or an arrest situation in, in Chris as an emergency department. But sharing that cognitive load can really help you focus and make you more successful. I guess sort of the opposite. So, you know, if we if we do see a healthcare workplace where kindness is rife and everyone's, you know, treated with value and respect, thinking about the patients or the consumers or whatever sort of word you want to use, how how does that lead to better care for them? You can absolutely feel it when that sort of teamwork is happening. Um, junior staff when they come into that can feel it straight away and they feel much safer and much more able to contribute and what the patients and families say is they feel safe and secure so that's a, a wonderful thing they know that that team is really focused on them because they can see that the interactions are respectful and kind amongst the team members
veterans affairs people in America, an organization called Crew, looked at this back in 2011. And they looked at organizations. If your organization is at the top end of the civility scale, the, these are the organizations where people are treated in a way that leaves them feel valued and respected, then your organization has higher levels of staff satisfaction, higher levels of staff engagement. Now, staff engagement is the number one predictor across all KPIs in organizations. They have higher levels of staff retention. And that is brilliant because turning over staff is expensive. It's also not particularly great for staff. And they have higher levels of trust in management. These are, these are the things that seem to go up. There's a couple of things that go down. The first one is equal opportunities legislation lawsuits. When you are at the top end of the civility scale, you spend less money on equal ops legislation lawsuits. Um, but you save about 10 times more than that in something else, and that's sickness absence. If you're at the top end of the civility scale, your sickness rates go down significantly. And what that says to me is that, you know, this stuff is measurable. It talks to our reputation. It talks to the world that we work in as healthcare providers on the floor. But there's other stuff as well. Um, if we If we accept that trusting in your healthcare provider is a really important component of, of providing healthcare, and it seems to be, then we can look outside healthcare. We can look outside healthcare and we can look at somewhere else where trust is key to your professional um, relationship, and that's banking. And in banking, if you walk into a bank, about 80% of people at that moment in time are net promoters of their bank. They trust their bank. But if they witness one single um, uncivil interaction between staff, whether or not they feel the uncivil interaction was merited, then the percentage of people who believe that, uh, that their organization is trustworthy and they are net promoters of it goes from 80% to 20%. People hate going into environments where people treat each other poorly because it raises our internal anxiety and that means that we feel uncomfortable and that comes out in a whole bunch of different ways. So imagining that I'm some sort of healthcare practitioner um, and I want to see some improvements in my team, um, what are three key things you could recommend that I could do in the next couple of weeks or months to to improve sort of kindness or civility in my team? I think you can go into work tomorrow and you can open up a conversation like this about kindness in your team. And then you can start by your own small acts of kindness or by just um, connecting one on one with members of your team. You can actually start this change. Because we know that a small act of kindness lights up parts of your brain and it lights up the brain of the person that you're performing the kind act to. And it's a contagious event. So that's what I think you do. You go in tomorrow, you start the conversation, you do a little bit of sort of mentoring and um, showing kindness. And things like a team huddle, I would really suggest that people 
take their team huddles very seriously and use them as a check-in, an actual personal check-in, not just I'm a doctor, I'm a nurse, I'm a student nurse, etc., but go one step further and find out how everybody's going on that day. Raise awareness that behaviour has a material impact on performance. Now, most people are attracted to talking about the negative stuff, so we'll talk about the negative stuff. But raise awareness that the positive stuff has an impact as well. And different people respond to different stuff. And if you want to get people on board with an idea, you you need to talk their language, whatever their language is. Um, but if I'm doing this from a stage, what I'm doing is I'm trying to trigger people to think about this stuff. So I tell stories because lots of us like a bit of emotion. I give people data because there's a lot of data out there about this stuff. I give them some concepts. I try and help people to laugh, usually at me, uh, because there's an awful lot of release in laughter. But the bottom line to this is what I'm doing is I'm just trying to say that behavior matters. And the evidence on this, and it comes from Anna Baverstock in Somerset, um, the evidence on this is just letting people know that behavior matters drives behavioral change in a lot of people, not everybody, because we don't all know how we're coming across. But just letting people know that behavior matters means that there's a bunch of folk who will stop doing the negative things that they were doing before, and they will embrace more positive ways of behaving. And once you start being kind to other people, even if it feels a bit weird and not like your normal self, the intrinsic and extrinsic rewards for this become self-evident to most people. And they continue behaving that way. And it's almost a fake it till you make it moment. But the starting place for me is just raise awareness that behavior might matter and let people choose their own path after that. And not one of the risks here is you end up telling people to be kind. Well, none of us like being told to be anything because the implications are not. So it's take people to water, show them what the benefits are, and let them choose because people are good and they will choose to go in the right direction, the pro-social direction, almost all the time. Both of you were talking at the upcoming um, Quality Forum conference, which is happening in Melbourne um, in a couple of months' time. Um, you're both talking in the workforce, well-being and engaging staff across the organisation and culture stream. Um Imagine that I've just met you in an elevator. You've got about 10 seconds um, and you have to try and persuade me to come to your talk. Why is it crucial that I come and hear you talk at the Quality Forum in uh, Melbourne in October? You have to come to our talk because you will get to hear Kath Kroc speaking. To hear Kath Kroc speaking about the impact that we can have on each other by getting people to think about behaviour is to move people from a position of sometimes despair into one of hope and a better future. I, I agree. You really need to come to our talk because you are going to hear Chris Turner talking about civility and that behaviour really matters and that we can inspire people to a better future by really thinking about our behaviour and just raising awareness. Brilliant. Well, thank you both so much. It's been a really interesting conversation and I've certainly learned a lot about 
how to be kind in the workplace and, and some key actions that people can take as well. So thank you both so much. I really appreciate it. It's been lovely talking to you. Thank you.